Welcome to another Dragonland Saga Professionals episode. My name is Adam, and today I'm talking with the award-winning author, Edo Van Belkum. He's also known in Dragonland circles for the, being the author of Lord Soth. Before we dive into this interview, I would like to take a moment and thank the DL Saga members of this channel and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below. You can even pick up Dragonlance Game Materials using my affiliate links. Now, I would just have to say thank you very much, Edo, for coming on the show and, and uh, be willing to share your experience and uh, body of work with us. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Glad to be here, Adam. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is, this is pretty exciting because when it comes to Lord Soth, there's three people that come to mind. And because Lord Soth is so prolific in the Dragonlance and Dungeons & Dragons sphere, I think amongst you know this uh, fandom, that's a pretty big deal. Um, and you arguably brought in the most original and different version of Lord Soth, the beginning of it. But with that in mind, let's not start with Lord Soth. Let's start with you. Um, you know, we, you wrote this... Uh, a couple years ago. <laughs> so let's well, talk about uh, how you got involved. 96, I think. Yeah. So like 24 years ago, something like that. Yeah, sure. it's wild how <laughs> time travels. Um, but well, I, 20, I, 28 years ago, yeah. yeah. Like a long time. Yeah. But that's not like how you got started into writing. I mean... It, no, no, that, uh, that book came uh, very early on in my career. Uh, I think it was the second novel that I did. I can tell you how it all came about if you're interested. Yeah. Okay, so in the early 90s, I was starting, just starting to sell some short stories. Mm -hmm. And I would try to sell them anywhere I could because my whole thing was I was a freelance writer. I had to write stories and, and things and sell them. Mm -hmm. So I had done some short stories for the White Wolf uh, gaming people. That's cool. Um, when Will You Rage, Truth Until Paradox. And they had a, um, a contract with uh, Harper Prism to put out a series of uh, novels based on the World of Darkness games. Yeah. So I put my name in there, and uh, I, based on the strength of the short stories I did, I got one of those books. That's and great. it was Wormwolf. And interesting about that, it was supposed to be in that number three or four in the queue. And then somebody else writing an earlier novel dropped the ball and they said oh can you have it done in six weeks i'd never even done a novel before it's so like <laughs> oh yeah sure i can do that it's so, six weeks you know, yeah every day after supper and you know, back back to the book back to the book i got it done but while that was going on i was writing to brian thompson who was the editor-in-chief of tsr at the time and i said hey i'm writing this novel for white wolf you know i'd be interested in doing some novels for TSR, mm -hmm. and he wrote me back, which was amazing, because I didn't expect that, but he wrote me back and said, well, when your novel comes out, send it to me, and I'll, I'll read it. So I did. When it came out in 1995, I sent it to him, and then um, I, he must have looked favorably upon it, because called me up, and we were having a discussion on the phone, and he says, I want you to do a, a novel for me. He goes, uh, how are you with uh, fantasy? You know, and I'm just like, I'm okay with that. Sure, I can do that. And I've never, I never did any, never did any before. You know, like I've seen high fantasy films and read some books and whatnot, but I hadn't done any real sword and sorcery kind of thing. But I, you know, it's like these actors that go to these auditions and they say, "Can you play older?" And like, of course. Can you ride a horse? Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
anything to get the job. So I just said, yeah. And so he said, okay, I want you to do a novel of Lord Soth. And I had no idea who the guy was or what his story was. And I was telling my friends, you know, oh, I'm going to do a novel for TSR. Have you heard of the character Lord Soth? They're like, you're going to do the Soth book? And I said, yeah, is that a big deal? And they're like, oh, my God, that's huge. So I'm daunted. I, I wasn't, like, I didn't feel pressure or anything. But so they sent me the, the three original uh, novels by Weiss and Hickman that had the, the kind of overarching story of everything. Yeah. I read those in like a week. I was, that was my job, like reading nine to five, those books. And I was making notes anytime Soth was mentioned. And then they, I can't recall specifically what, but they gave me some other background information and material. And anything that mentioned Soth, I made notes of parts of the story. So everything that I did was taken from Dragonlance lore. And, yeah. you know, I've seen reviews that people say, oh, you got this wrong, you got that wrong. I got it all from the information they provided and they vetted it, you know, so yeah. like they published it. So they were good with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, and then I started writing it. I, I probably spent three months on it, thousand words a day, you know, trying to get. And what I the, the 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 trick I did is the opening is a letter from the librarian who says, yeah. Just like I had done, I'd gathered all the information from all the sources that I could find. And here is the story of Lord Lawrence Soth of Dargard Keep. And, you know, so I put that in there as like, hey, the librarian says this is the story. Like, you know, <laughs> don't give me any grief. This yeah. is as real as we can make it. And I handed it in. And I think Brian was happy with it. He did give me another uh, job to do. And I did it. And then the two companies merged, TSR and Wizards of the Coast, and a lot of things fell apart then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, arguably, even the time when this came out, TSR was, it was just bleeding money. They, they were going through a really tough time. Was there... So, I'll, I'll just continue on a little bit about putting it all together. Yeah. Like, everyone knows the story, and they know how it's going to end. So I'm, I'm, I'm stuck there, right? Mm -hmm. I can't deviate, and I have to... I was very conscious of characters, main characters need to be sympathetic somehow. Mm -hmm. And this guy was evil, right? He didn't start out evil. I know all that, but he was going to do things that were going to be evil. Oh, yeah. so how do you make this guy sympathetic? People have complained that he's going through this whole thing and he can't do anything about it. Well, that was the case, right? No matter what he wanted, he was going to do the wrong thing and end up where he was. So, I said, okay, we're going to make it not his fault. It's going to be sins of the father. Like mm -hmm. he can't overcome his father's sins and his grandfather's sins. So he's destined to end up where he was. So that was my whole take on it and the way I could make him a sympathetic character. Because who's going to read, you know, an entire novel about an asshole? It's not going to be very engaging. So it's got to, he's got to have some good qualities and he's got to have a turn. So. Yeah. That was the challenge to make a totally evil character sort of sympathetic, and yeah, it wasn't all his fault. He he was doomed from the beginning. So that's interesting. Um, do you feel like the sins of the father idea takes any onus off of him, like the consequences that he has to suffer through as no, a character? 
I don't think so. He like you do the crime, you got to do the time, right? Yeah. So he did these things, and yeah, whatever happened to him, he deserved it. But as much as he wanted to do the right thing, he would never do it, mm-hmm. right? So he had to give him that excuse. You got to give him that little bit of an out, like, um, you know, I've talked to people who've had plenty of run-ins with the law, and they say things like. I'm not a bad person. I just make bad choices. Right. And, you know, that's the kind of thing the Lord Soth was. He's not a bad person. He just makes the wrong choices that cost him dearly. So Yeah. I think it's arguably what makes him one of the most intriguing types of characters is that given almost every situation, he always chooses the wrong option. And, you know, if you're a bad guy, you don't always see yourself as a bad guy to the point you were just making. Um, no, no. Uh, you know, I'm not bad. I just make bad choices. You yeah. know, there's other criminals out there that you should be looking for. Or, you know, um, yeah, he himself probably looks at himself as a hero mm-hmm. and uh, do always doing the right thing. But, you know, every once in a while, he makes those one, two bad choices, big mistake. And that's where he ends up. Do you feel like your background in reporting helped with the approach with Lord Soth? I mean, because you did work with, uh, you know, police news reporting and stuff. Uh, yes, I think at the time I had been workshopping with a group called the Cecil Street Irregulars, which uh, science fiction writers, uh, Carl Schrader came out of, Corey Doctorow. A uh, friend of mine, David Nickel, also a horror writer, came out of there, and a couple of others. And I had been, you know, workshopping two stories a week for uh, two, three years. Oh, wow. I was very um, analytical on what makes stories work and what didn't, uh, what didn't work. So that's why and how I looked at it. You know, there's a whole five-step thing where the problems need to be overcome, and the problem is greater than first believed, and then it's got to... And I had all that going for me, and um, I think the background in horror worked as well, um, because, you know, the evil was there. And I think Brian Thompson liked what I did in uh, Wormwolf, my first novel, uh, the character of Father Wendell Oldman, who was a werewolf, but he ran a homeless shelter in a bad part of San Francisco. So, uh, an evil guy can kick ass when he had to, but he was compassionate and, you know, caring for others around him. So all of that went together and, you know, uh, it is what it is. One of the parts I did like was the the, uh, the pre-cataclysm little vignettes that went between, you know, and uh, with the evil thoughts and how you get punished for evil thoughts. And there's a mother, like, thinking her child is like, oh, I wish I never had you. And suddenly you know, the wrath of the, the gods comes down on her for having this evil thought and a criminal thought. So it was fun to do, and I really enjoyed it. I wish I could have done more for the, the company at the time, but things yeah. weren't out. Yeah, I think you definitely should have be, been given another opportunity, and maybe even still. I don't I don't know. Um, now my time has passed, but ah. I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah. No, I think it was it was really one of the the better stories, especially you know in that area they're they're trying to pump out so many different stories with Dragonlance. Not all of them had the quality or the tie-in with the actual lore at the time. Lord Soth is one of those where it he, his character arc changed after your book was published, 
And I think that's why people had problems. You I've know, been going I've back. been reading some of the reviews of the book, and also the reviews of the things they did in the, the um, Ravenloft realm and all yep. these other realms. And I understand that's the story of when he was a Death Knight, and this was the only story really of how he became a Death Knight. Yeah. But yeah, people, yeah, everyone's going to find a problem with something, right? Yeah. And they're going to please everybody. And I did the best. Uh, I could to produce this best story I could. And, you know, if people liked it, great. If they didn't, I mean, it did well, I think, for TSR and Wizards of the Coast. It might still be in print. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think it is, actually. Probably. I mean, it's, it's doing really well. I, I mean, they're doing Kindle and digital versions of it now, so people still love it. Uh, well, that's I don't see a nice. royalty statement after all these years, so I don't yeah. know. I, maybe it's doing well. I hope so. Yeah. When it when it comes to reflecting back on your work, are there ever any? Do you ever like reflect back on the novel and go, you know what? I really wish I would have changed it here, or I wish the editor didn't take that out. I mean, you know, often whenever we're talking about a creative industry, it's always that question of, well, what do you think is how is it going to be received by the audience? But that's after it's left your hands, entered editors, and they've changed it, and you know, you've had to maybe do some rewrites or something. Are you ever satisfied with the relationship between you as the writer and the editor potentially changing your work? Um, I remember back at the, in those days, the novel Wormwolf might have been Lord Soth too, a couple of the other ones that I was doing for gaming companies. Okay, yeah. so that was somebody else's baby. They've got an idea how it should go, not just my work completely. And I remember struggling with, oh, they want me to change this, and they don't understand. And I was like, really, a diva, right? Mm -hmm. And really, uh, you know, they're inviting me to play in their playground, so I should be grateful. And, you know, like, here's what I can do. You want me to change it to fit your vision? I mean, it's it's not my vision. It's your it's yours as well. So I think that comes with maturity. If I had yeah. to do it these days or at this age, it's like, yeah, sure, you know, whatever you want. How are we going to make it better together? Right. But at the time, it was like, oh, how can you do that? This is my baby. Right. And, um, yeah, I got over that. I got over that. Yeah, I think that is something that any creative industry, you really have to get over quickly. <laughs> because as much yeah. as it is your baby and you're, you're writing it, you're not the last person to okay it, you know? So yeah. you, you always have to. I will to say, though, I did two novels in the Deathlands uh, universe mm -hmm. for um, Harlequin Gold Eagle. I don't know if you know the Deathlands. It's I'm like Ends Adventure, post-apocalyptic. Oh, cool! I did two novels there, and it was work for hire. And I, you know, I did the the books quickly, and I handed them in, and I knew I was never going to look at it again. They were going to do whatever they wanted with it, mm. and they did. And I was okay with that because it was, you know, a contract that. Fulfilled the contract, gave them the books. These other ones, you know, a little bit of yourself goes into there and you want to keep your vision. Yeah. And you think, oh, you've done some neat things in there. You hope they make it into the final product. But uh, as a professional over the years, I've matured in that way and, you know, easier to get, get along with now. Yeah. Well, that's nice. I got to ask you, like, horror as a genre, it's one of my favorite genres. Uh, fantasy is, is probably a close second, um, which would come to a surprise for the audience of this particular YouTube channel. But um, why horror writing? Like, what got you into wanting to write horror stories? Okay, when I started, 
I knew I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know what kind of writing I wanted to do. So I wrote poetry, which was really bad. Oh. <laughs> Me and a friend, uh, we wrote rock songs. Oh, nice. uh, we used the word baby way too much. And like, baby, baby, baby was half the song. And so they were pretty shitty. And uh, then I read Ray Bradbury's The October Country. Oh. And um, after reading every story, I thought, wow, that was really good. And left me with a sense of awe. And I said, that's the kind of story I want to write. I want to write a story where someone else reads it. And they'll say, wow, that was really good. And I had this lofty, lofty goal that I wanted to be like Ray Bradbury. And I set out to do that. I mean, that's what my whole thing was, writing short stories. And I was a full-time writer, so I had to write longer things to make a living and, and see if I could. And eventually I wanted to write novels. But the whole thing was writing short stories. So I kind of put my life in laser focus towards that goal reading all the time, writing lots of stories, reading good work and bad work, because a lot of times read something that's really bad, you can recognize it on the page, and then you can recognize it when you're doing it. Like, right. oh, it's terrible. Yeah. That looks like, you know, when I saw that before. So after about two, three years of this writing group, didn't need them anymore. And I wasn't making the mistakes I was making, so I kind of left. And uh, horror I did because I enjoyed writing stories set in the present day with just a little touch of fantasy. Mm -hmm. So the first novel, Wormwolf, is about a, a preacher, a priest running a homeless shelter in San, San Francisco, plus he's a werewolf. Mm -hmm. So he's got all the problems of running this homeless shelter. And he's got these abilities, and he's able to take care of business a little differently. But everything else is like in the modern world. And that's a lot of my short stories are like that. Everything's as it is, plus this one little element. And once you are, get good at something, it's more fun to do. The more fun it is to do, the more you want to do it. The more you do it, the better you get at it, the more fun it is. And it's just a cycle like that. And then, uh, you know, after a while, I was writing stories that were winning awards and, you know, in better anthologies and things like that. So it was a cyclical thing, but that's where I started. I wanted to write stories set in the present day, but just with a little touch of fantasy. That's great. I think that's arguably the best approach that horror ever takes. I mean, the, a supernatural element is always fun and it's always, you know, sort of oft used. But I think if you can instill just a little bit of fantasy, I think another author that does it pretty well, um, one of my favorites is Clive Barker. I think he does a great job of injecting fantasy with his horror as well. Um, I wasn't good uh, with supernatural. And reading uh, novels in the late 80s, early 90s, horror novels, it would be, they would be supernatural. And you'd be like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Like, holy shit, this is great. Then they had to explain the reason all these things were happening. Fell apart. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, it's not as cool as what was going on. So that's why I was always careful. Keep it very limited, like the Wolfpack series. Mm -hmm. Forest Ranger adopts four wolf cubs after a fire to raise them as uh, the, his own children, and they end up being werewolves, too. And it, that's it. And it goes from there. And um, 
I could talk about this one too. Oh, I was just, I was just going to be cycling through them as you were talking, but um, yeah, I mean, do you well, want to? Let me talk about this yeah. one too. Yeah. Um, so this was the novel that was supposed to come after Lord Soth, mm-hmm. and TSR had this Dragon Dice game. Yeah. And they actually published one by another author, and the the idea behind this was there was going to be a hole through the book, and inside there was a die, and oh. it was wrapped in plastic. <laughs> right. Okay. I know, you can make all kinds of jokes about plot holes in the novel and everything, because there literally was a hole right through the book. And I had that cover and did the book, handed it in, and then TSR merged with Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast had their own dragon uh, dice game, you know, so one of them had to go, dragon dice, gone. And uh, never was published, I got paid for it, never was published. Years ago, somebody, some group bought the Dragon Dice game because Wizards of the Coast didn't want it anymore. And they published a cop uh, edition of the Army of the Dead. Mm -hmm. And then about uh, three years ago, someone else bought the rights to the Dragon Dice game. And they were like calling me up saying, oh, can we have that novel, please? And like, oh, no, no, it's a a shared copyright. I own half. Whoever owns the Dragon Dice owns half, too. So they weren't too happy with that. But And then this guy, Christopher Schmitz, added some stuff. I don't know what he added. And uh, it was reprinted with an author byline by myself and him. I don't know what he did to it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just interesting to look at. It's an interesting story. I'm not really too concerned about what happened to that book, but... Yeah. That well, book, it's, nice. it's nice that it's all the light of day, you know, after having yeah, done the work. Yeah. But no one's, you know, writing me emails saying, oh, that Army of the Dead book, I kicked ass. That was amazing. More like, no, thanks. But, you know, I, I did what I could on it and I handed it in on time. It was professional and it was good. And it's got two other editions. And, you know, from there, I think Brian Thompson gave me that job as a placeholder. He said, here, oh. do this. Until we find something else for you to do. Right. Yeah, that's the most recent edition there. And wow. uh, the Espa Sagas, Dragon Dice novel. And uh, and then he, I think he was gone. And then I didn't have a friend there anymore. And uh, I was cast adrift. So. Yeah. But it was better that way. I found my own uh, things to do, right? Yeah, and you've done them quite well. I mean, you're, you've won awards for a lot of the work that you've done, which is, is something pretty stunning for any author or anyone in a creative industry to be recognized by that industry for what you've done. Um, it takes a lot. So, I mean, I appreciate that. Um, your short story sale, uh, baseball memories was selected for prestigious years, best horror series. Yeah. That um, was the first story I had published. Amazingly first story. It was in a published at a magazine called Athlon, the journal of sports literature published at East Tennessee State University. I mean, mm. you want to see obscure. That was pretty obscure. <laughs> so it gave me a really good excuse to send a copy of the story to Carl Edward Wagner, who was editing the year's best horror. Mm. And he looked kindly upon it and re- reprinted it in, in that year's anthology, That's which great. is amazing and kind of terrifying because your first short story ends up being in the year's best. And like, like a major league baseball player hitting a home run first at yeah. bat and like why Gotta can't you do up. that every time 
Uh, it's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> Come on, Babe Ruth. And I was, I was quite proud of that at the time. And it is quite a feat, I think. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and that's I, not the only I, one. I mean, you got Canada's prestigious Aurora Award. Um, uh, uh, gosh, there's a bunch of them, actually. Um, well, yeah, there was a Stoker Award for a story called Rat Food, which I wrote. My only collaboration, I wrote it with my friend Dave Nickel. And I'll tell you this. I've also won... Uh, Truck Writers of North America Tuna Award. Oh. Call it. Tuna, T-U. Well, Truck Writers of North America, T-W-N-A. Right. They call it the Tuna. <laughs> so I did um, this serial uh, story featuring a truck driving detective that ran for 15 years in Truck News Magazine here in Canada. And it was distributed free coast to coast at truck stops. And I did that for 15 years. Wow. 55 short stories I did. Because every every issue had a chapter, four issues, four months was one story, and then he went on to the next one. So every year there was three or four stories, fifty-five short stories, wow. and um, one of them called "Special Delivery" about him, my my guy, delivering a baby on the side of the road, and somebody, yeah, won the the Tuna Award. So that's great. Yeah, that was fun too. That's wonderful. So I uh, just want to acknowledge the live chat here. Don, thanks for tuning in. John, how you doing? What's up, Chris? Always great to see you. Um, Michael, thanks for tuning in live. Uh, Rhiannon, always great to see you. What's up, Joe? How you doing? Um, if you guys have any questions or comments about the course of this, if we get an opportunity, I'll look down and we'll um, comment on them. But again, the course of the conversation may change by the time I see the, the comment as it comes through. There is one. Um, is Army of the Dead a one-player campaign book? Do you remember what that was? I had no idea. A one-player campaign. It's a novel. Yeah. They asked me to write a novel, so I looked at the uh, source material. I figured out a scenario, and I think one side is kind of reclaiming the land of the other, and it's sort of creeping across this ginormous border, like inches at a time, and reclaiming this land. So in order to defend it, they resurrect all the dead soldiers to make an army, and then they clash and... Oh, cool. Crazy things happen. I, I can't remember exactly how right. it ends, but it's not a gaming module. I've never I've never even played a role-playing game. I don't know if that's taboo to say that. I've never played one. But I've I written... mean, it's it's just improv storytelling, so it's probably right in your wheelhouse, you know? Yeah, gonna... but I've written, like, you know, a bunch of stories set in gaming universes, and, like, you give me the... the criteria and all the guidelines and the parameters and then i'll figure out a story and you know write a story that fits all those parameters that's that's how i was approaching it not from a gaming perspective yeah i think arguably that's probably the best approach then you're not so close and so tied to the source material that you don't want to do something or maybe you want to tie it in with something else you're just focused on the story that you're telling and doing it the best possible way you can yeah i also didn't know what was done before and what's taboo and what's allowed and i just you know yeah did it anyway and that's really what the editors are there for anyway to, to you know just yeah. keep you in in line if need be um army of the there dead is. That's the second one <laughs> that's that is very early 90s art look. yeah kind of cool yeah i like that that's the idea across all these resurrected skeletons oh. and everything. Yeah. They're no, it's fine. Marching across to go to war, I guess. I don't know. Very B-horror movie, too. You know, this sort of sure. living dead stuff. Um, 
World of Darkness is one of the, I mean, you, your first novel you had mentioned was with the um, in the werewolf World of Darkness universe. Yes. And that at the time, I, I think it's often overlooked, but Dungeons and Dragons was not the biggest game in the market. They were chasing the White Wolf games at the time. So for you to like dip your toes for the very first novel time into one of the biggest at that time gaming industries that's booming and changing the whole industry and then right after that dive into the whole Dungeons and Dragons with Dragonlance and Lord Soth I mean you straddled two of the biggest IPs in the the era that they were the biggest and that's when you say it when you say it like that it's giving me chills I was just you know doing books at yeah. the time I You're didn't like, I'm just doing my job. About it. but I will talk about this one here yeah this is there's four works in here Kind of novelettes, mine is a novel. Mr. Magic is in there. And it was supposed to be published by Harper Prism as part of that line, but it got canceled. Yeah, I have I had the cover, I have the galley proofs, I already sent them back and was all ready to go, and then it got canceled. So they wow. they published it in this omnibus, which weighs about five pounds and it's like a huge like a brick, yeah. cinder block. But it did get published eventually. And it's too bad because that story, Mr. Magic, about this young uh, kind of mage in Montreal wanting to be a magician in Las Vegas, yeah, that, that's the covenant that never was, is one of the best story arcs that I've done uh -huh. early on, you know, like from a kid learning card tricks in Montreal to being a, you know, a second to a established magician to then becoming the magician. It was like... And I wrote that book with the Encyclopedia of Magic on my lap. I swear to God, it was on my lap every day. And I'd be writing. I said, oh, I need something here. And I'd look it up and say, oh, that's perfect. And put it in there. You know, research, research, research. Yeah. Um, I knew a little bit about the mage game and the mage uh, world. But a lot of magic, you know, real magic was put in there. And people said, oh, you know, is magic your hobby? No, I wrote the book with the Encyclopedia of Magic on my lap. You know, no, I'm just good at my job. I research. Well, I don't know about that. If, uh, you know, I'd be a best-selling author, and uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation now because it would be like, oh, who needs that? Yeah. But that was a fun book, and I just wish it had been published like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's nice. Um, I used to play Werewolf, and so when I saw that you had written for them, I, that's, I haven't read that first novel, and now I really want to. Because, uh, you know, I, I liked the Lord Soth novel, and I was playing Werewolf back in the day when it first came out, so I definitely need to check it out. Well, I'll tell you this about the Wormwolf novel. It's got like a three-and-a-half-page sex scene in there, Werewolf oh, sex. Really? And I thought, yeah, I, I did get my start doing a lot of um, stories for men's magazines. When oh, I was doing that novel, I said, I'm going to go for it. I'm just, And I put in like a three-page sex scene. And like, what the hell? And it, it got in the book. And so if you ever want to envision what werewolf sex is like, Wormwolf has got it. So I think we're all envisioning it right now, trying to figure out well, how that works. You know, you got to have some fun with some of this stuff, right? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was fun to do. And, uh, you know, now you really want to find that book. And read it, yeah. So. Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm really curious. Usually Dragonlance doesn't get into... You know, these, these sort of fantasy novels don't really get into the sex scenes. It's usually like um, uh, uh, Tracy Hickman always liked to reference it as like knocking the boots off. You know, like wow. they'd be taking boots off and you knew what was going to be coming next. And then they just cut to the next well, scene. 
in that novel, The First Lies, let me tell you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, check it out, people, if you want to see you read werewolves having sex. Um, and then, of course, some more, like Mage uh, the Gat, Mage the... Yeah, in these anthologies was uh, pre-Wormwolf. Uh, um, so I was writing stories, and they were pu getting published in these anthologies. And from there, they gave me the chance to do a novel. That's great. Yeah, and from that uh, Wormwolf novel, then that's where Soth came, and it kind of you know, went from there. Did it, did it feel to you like it was difficult to break into the industry of writing and getting published? You know, it felt like the hardest thing for me, but t talking to other people, they, uh, they're like, oh, you were really successful right away. And I'm like, I was, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, <laughs> well, I didn't feel I it at the time. Like when I was trying to sell stories, there was a guy in California, Jeff Gelb, and he was editing the uh, Hot Blood anthologies, erotic horror stories. So I wrote to him saying, I'd like the opportunity to submit to your anthologies. And he wrote me back saying, okay, if you want to. And then he had three that he was, he was working on, Hot Blood, another one called Fear Itself, and a follow-up to Shock Rock, Shock Rock 2. And I hit on each one of them, all three. I couldn't, you know, oh, wow. seems amazing now, but it was just like what it was going on back then. Like, I sold to all three of them. Yeah. And it was harder after. It was like that first story in Year's Best Horror. Like, the initial thing, great, knock it out of the park, then try to do it again. Oh, that's not as easy as it seems. <laughs> but, yeah, some people have told me that I was successful right off the bat. But did you ever feel I just like... did what I could, best, best things I could, and yeah. it worked out. Um, did you ever feel like the industry has changed? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how... Uh, knows to the, the the ground you are when it comes to the industry of, of publishing but you know as you started off in the uh, mid 90s and you've seen it sort of progress to more digital and and you know just the the pervasiveness of the internet and everything have have you felt like the industry has changed when i started the pinnacle of my ambition was to have a novel published by either leisure books or zebra with those really funky late 80s, early 90s horror things with the, you know, babies with skeleton heads or <laughs> skeletons holding babies. And right. so I thought that was the coolest thing. And I actually wrote a haunted house novel that I sent to Zebra and never went anywhere. Uh -huh. But that was what, you know, I really thought. And at that time, every publishing house was putting out three or four horror titles a month. So they really needed to find stuff. And I came just at the end of that. If I had come 10 years earlier, I probably would have had a career writing, you know, these horror novels, one, two, three a year or something like wow. that. But by the time I did get into paperback with Blood Road and Scream Queen at Pinnacle, Kensington, which is, is the same as Zebra. Got to excuse me, my dog's up here barking at No problem. I'm a dog person. And... Uh, can you, you hear got a that? skeleton coming in. Hey, knock it off. <laughs> He's all, no. <laughs> and uh, so we're like, we're on the third floor here, and she's looking out into the darkness, and I don't know what she's barking at. Um, but i that's what I wanted to aspire to. But by the time I was in paperback with Kensington, 
they weren't publishing the same amount anymore. And it all came down to sales. Yeah. And even though Blood Road was like optioned and Scream Queen did very well, they uh, they didn't want any more from me because the sales weren't there. And it was all down to sales. Yeah. So, it's going to be well, a tough metric because marketing is going to aid in sales and they don't want to market if it's not selling well. So. Well, it's the old self-fulfilling prophecy, right? The publisher is going to put money in behind it because they've spent a lot of money to acquire the property. And then because they spent a lot of money advertising it, it becomes a bestseller like they intended it to. But, you know, my books just kind of ended up going out there and then, oh, now we're worried about sales. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I proposed about eight different novels after those two. And it came down to like, oh, maybe you can do a, you know, a supernatural horror, maybe set in a rural area, maybe even in Maine or something. And I'm like, that's not what I do, you know. And so that was over. And that's when I got into doing young adult uh, fiction, which turned out very well. Yeah. Do you find it um, different writing for a different age audience? The, the, the approach I had writing for young adults with uh, Wolfpack was I wasn't going to talk down to anybody. I was going to, you know, respect the audience. Sure. And I wanted to write the kind of book that I would like to read at that age. Mm-hmm. And so I did, you know, and um, turned out great. Uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, the first book, uh, Wolfpack, it did win the Aurora Award, but more importantly, it won the Silver Birch Award, which is voted on by elementary school students in the province of Ontario. So they come out with a list of 10 books, and the kids have to read five of them in order to be, vote for their favorite. Oh, that's cool. So they voted... And Wolfpack was overwhelming uh, favorite that year. Won that Silver Birch Award, very prestigious award. That's great. And it was the only time, well, first time in my writing career, I felt like a rock star because they had this three thousand seat uh, stadium arena outdoor by the lake in Lake Ontario. Mm-hmm. And they introduced me, and I walked out on stage, and all the kids holding up copies of the book over their heads like you know they're at a rock concert or something and they're like oh this is amazing and it was just surreal and they won that year and it was pretty cool very cool that's awesome so do you ever find yourself self-editing when you're writing like for example the Wolfpack series that you put out because of the age you're just like well I can't really include that or I feel like nowadays everyone is so sensitive about virtually everything that you wouldn't you would have to like censor, you know, your, your, before you even put on the page. So how was that well, for you? When I was writing the books, there was never anything like that because the stories never went uh, in that direction. Yeah. The TV series is like an adult supernatural mystery. When I was writing, it's like a family drama. You've got a ranger and his wife who adopted these four werewolf children and they're raising them the best they can. They forbid them to use their powers to gain advantage you know, they're just trying to guide them through like normal teenagers. So they have all the problems of teenagers, you know, school bullies, homework, you know, cr- uh, high school crushes and things like teachers and whatever, plus the werewolves. <laughs> uh, but I never had to, you know, self-edit for anything like that. I did tell you one story. 
they can rent the the bad guy in the forest, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody knows that if they attack him and he gets injured, they weren't going to kill him. Nobody dies in my books. If you watch a TV series, a lot of people die. (laughs) But they're not going to kill him. But they're going to rough him up and scare him away. But they know that if they wound him, you know, open a cut or something like that, and he survives, he's going to be infected with whatever, and he's going to become a werewolf himself. So it took me about two weeks to figure out what are they going to do? And it was such a simple solution at the end. I'm like, they're in the forest. They pick up a branch and they beat the shit out of him with a branch, tree branch. And that'll solve the problem, right? They don't have to touch him with their their hand to get him infected or anything. But, you know, it's the kind of thing that comes across the writer. And it took me two weeks to figure that out. I felt so stupid at the end. Like, of course, that's what they do. Yeah. But, But I never had to. To go back to your point, I never had to self-edit and uh, change something for... When I was writing the first draft, you know, all the way through, I always write clearly with simple language and make sure that it was, you know, easy to follow and things like that. And I think I succeeded in all those things. Mm-hmm. But the only time I ran into trouble was in that scene in the forest. So. Yeah. What is it like having your, your series made into a TV series? Uh, first of all, it's surreal. Uh, <laughs> when it when it came, when the uh, email came from my agent said, "Oh, there's somebody interested in uh, TV rights to Wolfpack novel," I thought these guys are crazy. It's been out of print for 16 years. What are they, you know? And we're oh sure we'll entertain it, you know, like whatever. And and it went like light speed. And looking back on it, they had already. I know for the fact they'd already contacted Jeff Davis. Jeff Davis agreed to do it, but they didn't own the copyright. They didn't own the rights to it. So they were approaching and keeping it on the low, down low. And we like, I didn't think anything was going to happen because I'd had things like that happen before and nothing ever came of it. So I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay. They want to buy the rights to it. Okay. You know, we'll take the money. What are these guys doing? Right. Yeah. And then six months later, they sent a press release for my okay, and like, oh, yeah, that's okay. And then three days later, they had this teaser trailer come out, oh, and they geez. said, also in 2022 from creator Jeff Davis, based on the acclaimed books by Ado Van Belkin. I'm like, are you kidding me? This isn't for real. And I watched it for three hours, this teaser trailer. It was like three minutes long. I kept watching it every time it aired. Like, my name's still there. Like, this, <laughs> this is real. real. <laughs> And even that, I thought, yeah, maybe it's going to happen. And then, you know, six months later, they sent out a, a picture on Instagram, first day of shooting. Oh, my God, it, it did happen. And then eight months later, we were, well, six months later, we were in Atlanta on on set, wow. which was amazing because all the actors are thrilled to meet me, the author of the book. Like, <laughs> oh, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Are you kidding me? You know, and then, you know, two months after that, we were in Los Angeles for the premiere. Like, it was, it's surreal. Like, that was the second time I felt like a rock star walking down the red carpet. Mm-hmm. You know, these paparazzi, Ado, look over here, Ado, Ado, Ado. <laughs> and like, everybody knows my name now suddenly, you know, like, they all know my name and calling me by my first name. So I'm trying to look this way and that way. Surreal experience. But to get to your point, I'm, Roundabout way. No problem. Um, we watched it the first time that night, and it diverges drastically from the books. 
people reading the books to find out what's going to happen in the series, yeah. it's not going to happen. Maybe as the series goes on, some elements of the books is going to make it into the... I, I think that's probably going to happen. Yeah. But at first I was disappointed that more of my book didn't make it onto the screen. Although, in the opening credits, Jeff Davis put, based on a novel by Ado Van Belkin, and I thanked him for it. He said, no, no, it's going to be there every time. Because he didn't have to do that. He did it you know, as a, as a gentlemanly thing and a thing of respect for me, and I'm deeply indebted and, and grateful to him. And uh, But I was kind of disappointed that more of the book didn't end up on the screen. Yeah. But then my son, who works in television, explained to me that, you know, he's got a plan and he's working on things and he's got to set up this. And by the end of that talk, I was like, yeah, it's great. I can't wait to see what happens next. So I'm I'm all done with it. I'm looking forward, you know, should be a season two announcement, hopefully coming soon. And uh, I can't wait to see what they're going to do with it. But I'm looking forward to it immensely. Yeah, that's great that there's a season two that's going to be um, greenlit and released Especially well, if it, it was a success in all kinds of uh, ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got on YouTube thing. I have a channel on YouTube. Lots of things from my past when I was a horror movie host and yeah. talks I'd given and and uh, things like that. But I also have um, Wolfpack Facts, which I talk about the books and the series and how they're the same or different. And I did a whole thing on why there should be a season two. And by every metric that. Paramount Plus wants to measure it. It was a success. Mm-hmm. Number of subscribers, the reaction, viewers, and everything like that. Unfortunately, we got hit with the writer's strike. Right. And the actor's strike. Right. That, that just put a... Uh, threw a spanner in the works yeah. for uh, all the older people in the... in the uh, in your audience. Yeah, there's Miss Sarah Michelle Geller. Yeah. And we went down to Atlanta. That's a screen behind. It looks like we're outside, but that's a yeah. screen, like all painted trees and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I did think you like. It's all on set. She came to your cabin or you went surreal. to her cabin? Like, you go through and you, you know, you're walking into a barn yeah. that's in a building, you know, and it's like, holy cow, you know, and the, they have these great houses and everything. People be happy to live in them, but it's just a set. Um, now I'm losing my train of thought. Yeah, you're showing a pretty girl, and I just lose my nah, head. Hey, I'm with you. <laughs> Happens every time. Who's this That's gentleman? Uh, Jeff Davis. He's a great guy. I, you know, it's funny. I've only talked to him like for five minutes at a time, about three or four times. Mm-hmm. But we've kind of gotten to be good friends, and he's very respectful. And uh, it's funny, you know, every time I want to talk to him, he's, like, he's got a, a dozen people around him that want a bit of his time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm one of those people, too, so he's only got a few minutes for me. I'm hoping season two would go down there, because I'll point, I'll, I'll mention this, I'm supposed to get a cameo. Oh! If you're in the series, yeah. I'm, and I keep saying, I hope I get killed, because I want to be on set one day, <laughs> get killed, and then get made up with all the blood and everything. Yes. And then they can linger on me for a bit, and everyone will go, oh, that's the author of the book. And then they just pans away. That'd be, that'd be so much fun. That'd be great. But, uh, you know, he's only got five minutes because people are pulling him this way and that way. And I hope that uh, one of these times uh, we'll have dinner together because mm-hmm. I got like a hundred questions for him. Yeah. They've never been able to get answered. But uh, in yeah. my books, he's a, he's a great guy and uh, totally respect him. I was going to ask if the writing team ever reached out or if they just referenced the source material and just sort of spun it off from there since clearly that's different 
age audience and everything. But the thing, the core, there's a couple of things at the core. One is the forest fire. My book starts with the forest fire. The series starts with a second forest fire 16 years later or 18 Ah. years. So that's similar. The forest ranger fighting the fire sees the the wolf come out of the fire with the cub Mm -hmm. and deposits the cub in a safe place, goes back in the fire. That is the same. In my book, the ranger and his wife adopts four wolf cubs. In the book, the ranger single parent adopts two of them. And later on, two others join after the second fire. They get bit, and it kind of diverges from there. But at the core, it's it, the elements are there, and also there's a respect for nature and the environment, which is in my book. Nice. And the same is uh, is in the series. So I, I think, think that more out of the book is going to make it into the the series. I hope mm-hmm. so. It could be just the author like being living in the fantasy world, but. You know, they paid for the rights for it. It's theirs to do what, yeah. what it is. They're still respectful to me. They mention my name every time. And I couldn't ask for more, so yeah. I'm just looking forward to season two when it comes and when it's announced, hopefully. And uh, let's see what happens. Well, I just see uh, Michael in the chat says this drops Friday. So I'm not sure if he's referencing season two or a re-release of the first season or what, but... Something well, like... the, the first season streaming on Paramount Plus. Okay. Um, he might know something that I don't about Friday. It could be. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure. But uh, there are indications pointing towards a season two. I'll put it that way. Yeah. An official announcement is still forthcoming. Ah, okay. Uh, Goldman, thanks for joining live. Good to see you. Um, let's see, Malcolm, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you. So, um, Rhiannon is showing that uh, Wolfpack is. Uh, only $10 on Kindle in Australia. So definitely go check out the series uh, and, of course, the TV show that it's done. And then you can go to Edo's YouTube channel and watch him explain the differences and talk about the whole series and stuff. That would be a very cool experience as well, like a almost like a, a commentary track of sorts, you know? I would, I would appreciate people going there because I'll tell you this. Like, I was out of the loop, and I used to do press releases and send out emails and things to promote my work. Now, social media. Yeah. So I'm trying. Trying to figure out Instagram, X, formerly Twitter. TikTok, I haven't figured out at all. I put some <laughs> things on there, but I, I haven't got a clue. Facebook is like your, your granddad's social media, so I got that covered. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out, and I do all these Wolfpack facts, and I think it's got to be golden because it's referencing the TV show yeah. with the book and everything. And, you know, you're, you're hovering around 250 views. And you're like, oh, come on. Something <laughs> is missing, and I don't know. Gray hair doesn't mesh well with social media, I guess. So <laughs> yeah. if somebody wants to go and look at the videos on YouTube, please do it. We need more cats. Sure. <laughs> Put cats in your videos. That might help. It wouldn't hurt. If, if that's the, the, the secret, I'm willing to try. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I'm clueless. I don't have any social media. I just have this YouTube channel, and so I don't. Well, you're doing very well on this. I saw the number of subscribers that you have. It's yeah, it's not impressive. bad. Um, it's more to the IP's credit than my credit, to be fair. But it's nice that um, it, it's nice that you have a presence online that people can find you and connect with you. Most authors, um, it's very hard to find. So, like, 
a lot of the other Dragonlance authors um, from different books and stuff, they just don't have an online presence. Um, and so I to have someone say, like... What's that? I often say, if you can't find me on social media, you're not looking hard enough. Because yeah. uh, all you got to do is type in 809 Dolphin and several pathways are going to lead to all those different things. So. Yeah. Have you ever considered um, returning to Lord Soft at any point? First of all, it wouldn't be my decision to make. Mm-hmm. Sure, you know, I'd love to do that. But other people involved, and they'd have to approach me. It's not my property. So, and I'm sure all these people following know somebody who's more learned about the character and can do more things. You know, it was early on Mm -hmm. when I was doing that, and uh, I was fortunate. Um, To have it happen again, uh, it's probably unlikely. But, you know, I'm game. Mm-hmm. I, I I never even mentioned anything about this until I book and I thought, oh, well, maybe we could talk about that because you know I I hadn't talked about it with anybody. Hopefully, all this stuff coming out today is new and you know no one's heard it before. Yeah, well, I'm not sure, but uh, I am glad that you're here talking to us about it now. Um, one thing I did uh, sort of want to bring up is maybe a, a point of consideration is that um, Richard Knack, for example, who writes about a, a Minotaur character, he released a short-form story for in another product in another Dragonlance um, channel. But if that was something... like I know that you can release it on uh, DM's Guild. There's like rules on how long you can go for the story and stuff, but they did open up the copyrights on it so you can write it and then sell it on there. So I don't know if it's oh. something you may want to consider and look into at all, but... I think if we could get uh, you know more glimpses of your version of Lord Soth of the younger years, because we know now where he died, you know how he ended and all that, we got all that. You created a version of him in his youth and in the cur- the the curve of corruption that we'd all heard about, but no one's actually written or read at the time. And to maybe explore even younger version of that, you know, before that, or you know, other adventures or other experiences that would then be six, uh, sort of uh, clues about how he would be corrupted, I think a lot of people would be very into that. You're, make, you're making me think, oh, yeah, we could do a YA version. Yeah. Of, uh, Lauren Soth, when he was being raised, like from five to ten years old, and when he was 14 and first picked up a sword and things like that. Sure, that would be cool, but it's, yeah. it's not for me to decide. If someone approached me to do it, that would be another matter, but... Yeah. Well, it's, Interesting. It's, you got me thinking a little bit about it too. So yeah. that's good. <laughs> it's nice that it's still sort of in your in your mind, and, and you know you can sort of come up with uh, some ideas about it. That's that's really exciting. Um, if anyone has any connections <laughs> with Watsi, let's get this happening because that would be dope. I would love to read that. Um, some of the other stuff you sent over um, a whole bunch of really wonderful images that we've been going through. Uh, Death drives a semi. So right. uh, can you tell us about this? So that was my first short story collection. That's the book I'm most proud of. Um, it's got 20 short stories, just like the 20 in the October Country. So this is like my October Country book, published in 1998 by Quarry Press, Kingston, Ontario. It actually went through two printings. The second printing was distributed through the United States. And it's got the Bram Stoker winning story, uh, The Rug. Hmm. It's got... Um, Baseball Memories in it, Year's Best Horror Stories. It's got, um, oh no, not 
story. The Stoker winning story was called Rat Food. Mm -hmm. The Stoker finalist story was called The Rug. And so it's got maybe like 20 of my best stories in it. And it's just uh, my favorite book. And when I was doing these kind of interviews, I did one with a friend, uh, Mark Lefebvre, who has a kind of a publishing company. And he said, have you thought about doing a reissue of Death Rides Ascending? And I told him, no, you know, I'm done with that. And about three months, I started thinking about it. I said, yeah, it might be cool to do that. So we did a second edition, a 25th anniversary edition. Got all the bells and whistles, you know, story notes and introduction. It's got a picture. We did an author's photo with uh, me behind the wheel of a semi-truck when the book first came out. And I did one now with no hair and a beard <laughs> 25 years later. And, uh, you know, we, and it's a gorgeous book, and I'm really proud of it. So that's the, the thing I've been promoting uh, lately. Oh, and uh, Jeff Davis actually did a, a very nice blurb that appears on the back cover. Oh, nice. Comparing it to EC Comics and, uh, you know, that awesome. kind of thing. So that's very cool. Of, yeah, I mean... It, where where's the best location people can go to find information about your projects that are you know currently being released or re-released and and re-explored? Where can they find you online? Well, if you become a friend on Facebook, I'm always posting uh, Facebook stuff about everything that happens to me uh, mm-hmm. in terms of writing and everything. Uh, also, follow on Instagram. I, I put out the same posts on Instagram, Twitter as well, or X. I also do, uh, but the main ones would be Facebook and Instagram yeah. and uh, YouTube. You know, I'm, I'm going to be doing, um, my son actually suggested today I do a video about thanking people, the fans, for uh, staying with it, and hopefully we all be together for season two. Yeah. We'll see. Let's see how that does. But those are the two places, and, uh, you know, if you just type my name in, Google search, you'll come up all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm not hiding, that's for sure. Yeah. Now it's all going to be werewolf sex <laughs> stories. Hey, I, I did that. I, you know, it's done. Yeah. And I don't have to do it again, but it happened there. And now you, you're st- we've been talking almost an hour, and you're still thinking about that. So I'm telling you, that it's, was, I, I can't. That was a whole man there. I imagine there's a lot of claws and pain involved. <laughs> Flying fur and roiling fur and things like that. Oh, that's funny. Um, Okay, so (laughs) I I just have to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing. uh, You know your experience, your uh, your awards. um, You know just everything that you've put together and released. Um, You were also like you had a um, like a TV show that you were a part of, right? I was a horror movie host on uh, Scream TV. That's great. I did, um, it was called Postmortem. I did an intro to a, the movie that showed at midnight, and then I did an outro when the movie was over. A lot of those are on uh, YouTube, too. You can check them out. Um, it was a lot of fun to do, and I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm here, I'm on my way as a horror author. Now I'm like an expert on TV, introducing these movies. But this was at the first bit of, you know, pay TV channels. They just opened it up. So Scream was an all-horror channel. And they had a first uh, three-month uh, free. Uh, free. You could watch all these channels for free. And that's when we were doing it all. As soon as that ended, 
and you had to pay for the service, all you guys are gone. All the, you had <laughs> yeah. several hosts, and you that was it. You're, you're out. But it was the best, you know, three months as a horror writer because I was watching these movies that I'd never seen before, having to say something smart about them. I got to kind of act. Towards the end, I was doing kind of crazy stuff. You'll see that on YouTube, like I'm in a straight jacket talking oh, about nice. the, um, what was that movie? It was an Australian movie called The Ugly. <laughs> yeah. And everything is blue. The blood is blue and everything that. And I just like in a straight jacket acting like crazy. And I did a bunch of those things. It was just so much fun. Yeah. But it ended like most of these things. Yeah. So I've done that. I, I used to say I did a million jobs as a, as a writer. That had nothing to do with writing, but let me be a writer. And I got paid for about a dollar for each one of them. But, uh, you know, you do what you have to do when you want to continue on in that. So, yeah. But well, uh, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun doing that. And, uh, yeah, I was a, a TV star for a while. Well, I think that's great. I mean, not only did you have success with writing, you saw it translated onto the screen. You had commentary about films uh, in the genre. Horror has just sort of been your home for your, your professional career. And I can't think of uh, many better places to have a home than uh, horror fiction, especially when you can bridge that gap between horror and fantasy and just spread, um, you know, the connections that you make in different IPs and stuff. I think that's, uh, that's, that's really great. And it's a tribute to your talent as an author. So congratulations fine, on everything. Sir, thank you very much. Um, okay, so we already mentioned where you can be found online, so I highly recommend people go check out Ado's uh, different social media profiles. Uh, go check out his YouTube channel. It's all linked down below. And um, Ado, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here talking about everything. I hope you have a, a wonderful day. Before I go, yeah. I just want to point out the shirt. People have been looking at the yeah. shirt. Yeah. This was produced back in, uh, must have been 1996, to promote the book kind of weathered and you can see that it's all breaking up and i also want to show now. my tie <laughs> nice. I used to wear a tie and i had a lord soft on the tie i still have that very dear to me and that's the kind of that's the way we promoted things back in the day you like you wore an advertisement on your yeah. on your shirt now you get to do these kind of things which is i gotta say a lot more fun yeah, <laughs> just, but I'm sure that that shirt is considered vintage now, so I'm sure that's a, a nice. I didn't know item. my wife had it. She said, "Oh, you want that T-shirt?" And I said, "You still have it?" She said, "Yeah, since you washed it and I put it on." That's amazing. I can't believe it still exists. That's cool. All right. Well, thank you again, uh, everyone joining us live. Thanks for tuning in live and sharing your thoughts in the chat. I know there's not a lot of comments. Uh, directing at us, but you were definitely commenting with each other, and I think that's just as important to share your passion for Edo's work as well as uh, sitting by and, and tuning in and, and listening to the interview itself. But that is going to do it with the interview with uh, Edo Van Belkum. He's incredibly gracious with his time. What do you all think of his writing? Do you have a favorite novel of his? And uh, if you could have him write another Dragonlance novel, what would it be about? Feel free to email me at infodealsaga.com or comment below. I'd like to once again invite you to consider becoming a member of this channel. And remember that you can always pick up Dragonlance Game Materials using my affiliate link. And all of those links are also in the description below. This channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga, including and maybe even full stopping with Lord Soth. So thank you so much for tuning in for Edo and myself. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's been wonderful. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Until next time.
Slangevar. Woo! <laughs>